Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the GIR, the Golf Industry Roundtable. We are excited to talk junior golf and growth of the game, all those buzzwords that the whole industry has been talking about for years now, but talk to uh, a number of the players in the industry. So, Kyle, if you don't mind doing some intros, we can kick this off. Yeah, Rob, I think uh, Whitney Houston sang it best when she said, I believe the children are the future. And <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> they are certainly the so well with her own. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, they certainly are the future of golf. So, okay, good. Uh, them, uh, you know, we've heard in the past that uh, capacity is up and playing is down. Of course, all that sort of curmudgeon talk was pre-COVID and COVID has of course sort of changed the metrics a little bit and, and we'll dive into that with each of our, our panels but the round table is, is fully uh, committed today with a distinguished list of uh, junior golf uh, industry executives and uh, participants etc so we're happy to kind of have the round table um, just sort of brief introductions we have Steve Tanner director of league golf at PGA of America uh, I think he Give it a little wave there. Adam Hike, CEO of Youth on Course, and Joshua Jacobs, CEO, founder of TGA Premier Sports. So I thought maybe a good place to start was just to sort of kick it off, maybe in the order that I went and have each of you kind of talk about your organization, um, where you fit into the junior golf uh, movement, uh, player development, et cetera, and then we'll kind of come back to it. So uh, Steve, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Rob. Um, great to be here. And uh, so my name is Steve Tanner, as you mentioned, and I work for the PGA of America. Uh, and so we are the organization of 29,000 PGA professionals. So the men and women that are working at the majority of golf facilities across the country. And so really what my role is and, and what my department is, which is coaching and player development, uh, it's centered around how do we increase participation and performance in the sport? Uh, we do that really through sort of two uh, kind of pillars, if you will. Um, the first pillar is how do we elevate our PGA professionals as coaches? How do we help them have the tools to be able to connect uh, with, with people of all ages and abilities, um, be able to really provide sort of exceptional experiences across sort of all swaths of, of programming? Um, and then we have uh, sort of a division of products of which PGA Junior League is uh, really the, the main focal point um, at this time. Uh, that's really designed around how do we create a mechanism to bring sort of fun, social, community-based um, team sports to the world of golf. Uh, and so since 2012, uh, you know, we've really been focused on this idea that when you can connect kids with their friends, and then when you can connect them to the coach, um, that gives them a meaningful experience. It almost, it almost doesn't matter what the sport is at that point. It's more about that human connection. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do uh, through PGA Junior League and, and more broadly at the PGA of America. Awesome, thank you. And I know we're gonna get uh, kind of a little deeper into that, but let's uh, bring Adam on over from Youth On Course. Adam, tell us a little bit about what you guys are up to. Sure, Youth On Course was uh, started by the Northern California Golf Association 15 plus years ago. And, and uh, five years ago, we expanded in partnership with uh, you know, amateur, regional amateur golf associations, and in some cases, even PGA sections uh, to, to really provide access uh, and opportunity, eliminate cost as a barrier to entry to golf. Uh, we found that there was a lot of other programs you know, teaching the game, uh, you know, doing great things for the sport and kids, but we, we found that there, there was a kind of a niche market for us 
in, in providing access and, and removing that cost. So we work with facilities, about 1,400 facilities across the country and in Canada uh, to enable young people to play for $5 or less at those facilities. Uh, there's about 100,000 kids involved in youth on course right now in approximately 40 states. Uh, we also offer paid high school internships, uh, some regionalized caddy programs, which are mostly Northern California based, and then a, a national college scholarship program as well. Uh, so certainly interested to, uh, to, to talk to these gentlemen and, and uh, know them and what they do and, and are excited about uh, expanding the opportunity, so to speak. Very cool. Cool. Uh, well, last uh, but not least, Joshua from TGA Premier Sports. You guys do a little bit more than just golf. So tell us about uh, your, the dynamic kind of range of your youth uh, development programs. Yeah, we do, we do more than golf, but uh, our, our bread and butter really is golf. That's how we started uh, 17 years ago in the Los Angeles area. And we run programs in about 3,000 schools, community centers, and, and golf facilities throughout the U.S., uh, we, we scale our model through a, a franchise opportunity in which we're in uh, 65 markets right now across uh, the United States. And where we're really concentrating on is the introductory level uh, of, of golf and breaking down the barriers, as Adam said, you know, they're breaking down the barriers of cost uh, when it comes to facilities. We're, we're breaking down barriers as it relates to cost of entry level programs as well as transportation barriers. For parents and making it as uh, accessible as possible to get the students and get these kids into the sport, introduced to the sport. And then we partner with golf courses and community centers to run camps, uh, get the kids to the next level recreational. And, and we've, been, uh, we've been doing it for 17 years. We've got a little over 900,000 kids who have gone through the program. And over the last 17 years, we've, we've taken our, our community model and, and expanded it from just golf to uh, tennis. Uh, we were partners with the uh, United States Tennis Association and, and then we added team sports, but uh, golf and tennis uh, are, are really the, the top two, the individualistic sports and golf is where the, the bread and butter and the heart is. Very cool, very cool. Kyle, you look like you had something to say there. Well, I, I was just gonna, you know, Rob and I are really sick about talking about COVID, but I, I don't think we can really get away from it, certainly when it comes to um, youth development. Um, so I just sort of pose an open-ended question. Hopefully all three of you have a take on it or whoever wants to jump in, but what, what are some of the biggest challenges and opportunities in the industry right now? Uh, I know COVID sort of prevents, presents a little of both. So uh, what are you guys seeing actually uh, at the ground level, uh, I'll, I'll jump in. I guess uh, you know, from a from a from just a, a playability standpoint, it's obviously been challenging to have organized sports. And I, you know, I, we're not in that in that area as much. And so I would I would probably defer to, to Josh and Steve more so on that. But from a just a you know playing golf and and allowing kids to go out and and just have a, a recreational opportunity, a mental break from, you know, distance learning school and, and that environment I think has been huge. Uh, youth on course subsidized rounds are up uh, about a hundred percent this year. And uh, that, that has posed its own challenges, uh, namely, you know, in, in terms of fundraising and, and that sort of thing, uh, which is, has been slightly challenged. 
but membership at the same time within our organization is will be up almost 50% on the year. So we're seeing kids that that would play other sports come to golf. Uh, we're seeing kids who may play a little bit of golf play a lot more golf. And, you know, facilities are obviously very, very healthy over the last few months. Uh, it's just amazing to see the the opportunity within golf right now. And, and I think we're all interested to see how sticky it really is, right? Does, do, do these trends continue? Is this a blimp in the radar? Uh, you know, if, if things change with COVID, will that change golf? Uh, you know, those are, are some of the things we're – we're looking at and uh, and actually trying to budget for next year is is very difficult at the moment. So uh, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, I would, I would jump in and say, you know, for PGA Junior League, you know, we had you know nearly a four month postponement. Um, typically, our season starts March first, uh, so we were on the sidelines, so to speak, from March until really the middle of June. Um, but what we've seen since then has really been remarkable. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, sort of group sizes. Um, in, in a lot of areas has had to be limited. So some of our programs aren't quite at the scale that they've, they've been at in the past. You know, but we had 1,700 facilities uh, this year with nearly 37,000 kids coming out and playing. What we really focused on was we, we sort of don't love the term social distancing. Um, we looked at more of how do we sort of create social connection, but in a physically distanced world. Uh, and so we worked hard on, on certainly being part of the back to golf guidelines um, that came out to help operators, help PJ professionals, everyone at golf courses, keep golf open and keep golf healthy. Um, and we helped create the junior golf side of that, working with Adam and, and Josh and a variety of other folks in the junior golf space. And, and we created our own version of that for PGA Junior League. And uh, we trained up our coaches on it. And so, you know, for us, we feel really grateful. We have no sort of known kind of COVID um, uh, cases that have happened because of PGA Junior League. And We've had 37,000 kids that have had you know, really a phenomenal experience because it is an opportunity for them to get out of the shelter of their homes. I have three kids here in mind, so saw it firsthand and, and get out, be outside, be active. And one thing we're really focused on, as Adam mentioned, is what is the stickiness of it, right? Is this just people sort of showing up and playing because it's the only thing available? And, and how do we create a world where there's, there's some more deeper meaning to that? And certainly in the case of our world, right, if we can get kids with their friends, and we can get them in environments where they feel a connection to their coach, we think that that certainly has the potential to, to have long-term impact. And so we're excited about the future because we think we, we've potentially, well, we know we've got quite a few kids in that have never played before. And, and I feel like it's now sort of all of our tasks, certainly my task, to, to help make sure that that continues. Yeah, to kind of put a bow on what Adam and Steve were talking about, there was a <clears throat> there was a great stat that was put out by uh, the Aspen Institute and in Project Play. Um, the number of hours that that kids are playing golf before the pandemic, the number of hours per week was was ten point four, and then during the pandemic, uh, it actually went down to eight point four. But the 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 great stat to come away from is of every sport in the country golf had the least uh the least drop off of any sport in terms of number of hours so i think from a long-term sustainability uh stickiness etc i think that we are we're very well positioned if we can if we can create programs and create programming uh for each age group and each level of golfer that can be uh kind of synced up 
for us personally, uh, TGA, it was it was definitely a challenge, mainly with the bureaucracies um, in the in the schools. Obviously, schools were closed. Uh, we were not able to run our traditional uh, breakdown barriers of uh, transportation barrier programs. But uh, during much like the success that PGA Junior League saw, um, we too saw a tremendous success in our camp programs with a number of our franchises. Uh, beating their record numbers uh, prior to the summer of 2020 by 50%. What it also gave us the ability to do is to partner with more uh, facilities uh, that Steve was talking about that have PGA uh, professionals as part of them and, and run after school programs at that facility, give the opportunity for, for parents and kids to have a break during the middle of the day, really be flexible with what the parents wanted the kids schedule around sports to be. And uh, we, we've, we've been successful with that and that'll prove to be ongoing for us in the future as well. So we're, we're excited about it, especially for the, uh, the schools to open back up. <laughs> no kidding. You know, one of, one of the things that um, I, I work with a lot of golf courses on the course operations and marketing courses side, side of things. And one um, consistent challenge for courses of course as a business is in just driving revenue how, how, do, how do they drive revenue to the course maintain staying open so when they're looking to market things they're also being barraged it's been a lot of talk i'm sure you guys have heard it uh, been a large part of it over the last years is how, how do we continue to grow the game how do we get more younger um not more younger as in Younger, but more young golfers uh, involved in the sport, and then the course is faced with the challenge of, is that really where the money's at? And I'm operating on a limited marketing budget. I need to drive revenue into my golf course as a business. How do I accomplish that and still do my part to grow the game on a, on a limited budget? So maybe you guys can talk a little bit about, you know how a, a course or some of these professionals that are working in their facilities when they've got where a lot of the money's coming from and what that really means when it relates to youth programs or growing the game and, and what they can be doing that maybe they just don't understand or are not aware of or what um, resources you guys are able to provide in combination with them a, a, as well to, to build out programs like these at their facilities. That was a really long question. Sorry. Hey, Rob, I, certainly we've, we've done quite a bit of studying around this, right? Um, even sort of above and beyond just our, our mission to grow junior golf, it's really to help um, golf facilities thrive and help our PJ professionals, you know, have sort of the most vibrant careers possible. So we do quite a bit of tracking when it comes to value creation for facilities. And so a couple of things that I would share. Um, the first is I think you can actually merge the two. I think historically junior golf has been thought of as something that has to be sort of free um, or has to be sort of a non-revenue generator for facilities. And what we find is just like pretty much every other sport, parents generally are more interested in paying for quality than uh, participating in something that's sort of cheaper, right? From a programmatic perspective. And so for PJ Junior League as an example, um, our average program fee has increased every year. And that's really the fee that the PGA professionals are charging to the consumers. Um, and this, this year here in 2020, it was $273, which when you add up, you know, the average league of six games, six practices, we actually add up how many hours of engagement that is. We're, it's still cheaper than most other sports. Um, but what we did is we actually work with a number of facilities to track not only what the registration income is from that, 
but utilizing their POS systems, um, tracking really like what's the increased spend, right? So like at a private facility, what's the monthly spend after their child participates in junior league versus before? And what we see is that it's almost a seven times multiplier. And so last year um, in 2019, our last sort of normal year, we had 61,000 kids. We had over $10 million of registration revenue, but that translated into $62 million um, of impact, around $20,000 on average per facility, just from the engagement that Junior League provided. Not because Junior League is the greatest thing ever, but rather it just sort of opens the door for those types of connections to get the siblings, to get the parents, to just create the whole sort of family experience at the club. And one story that, that I learned about um, recently that I want to share with you, it's, it's a golf facility in Utah. Um, it was a publicly owned course uh, and they were getting ready to sell it to developers and a bunch of junior league kids went into the city council meeting wearing their PGA junior league jerseys um, and basically created a whole petition. All the family sort of rallied around this facility. Uh, and at the end of the day, they ended up not selling it to, uh, they ended up not selling it to developers. And that facility now is generating roughly $70,000 a year just through PGA Junior League and the activities that come from that. And it's employing a PGA professional. So I personally believe that, you know, we can certainly do sort of do well by doing good, if you will. I know that's a Josh Jacobs line, so I'm going to steal that from him. <laughs> Unless PGA Junior League, we have a whole scholarship program as well, right? So we gave out 2,500 scholarships this year, 3,500 last year for the kids that, that need them. Um, but we really think that junior golf can be a catalyst for driving quite a bit of value facilities. We think we've got some good case studies to back that up. Very cool. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with, with more that uh, Steve's saying. For us, it's really a three-prong approach. It's value proposition, timing, and uh, kind of forgetting the third. Value proposition, timing, and location. You know, for TGA, what we've always figured out since 2003 is – how do you make golf accessible in any place? And, and when it comes to the first programs that we ran back in the fall of 2003, I kind of knew that we had a scalable and replicable model when we had 17 kids sign up at $165 a pop for eight sessions in a hallway in a school. So we knew that there was demand for golf back then. And, and we look at the golf courses as being very similar right now. They're obviously busier than ever. You know, you talk about, Rob, you talk about the, the, the value proposition for uh, junior golf versus a full paying customer who's, who's paying tee times and, and where can you do those programs. And uh, like Steve, I'll cite a specific example. We have a franchise here in Long Beach, California, at a course called Bigsby Village, and they needed a place to house programs. The parents really wanted to get entrenched and, and, and they wanted to continue playing golf. And without golf courses, it was, it was tough to do right now. So uh, our franchise there took uh, a portion uh, in between one of the holes and kind of off to the side of the driving range and they built a kind of a synthetic practice facility uh, along with the ability to have a, a 50 to 75 yard hole. And now they're running almost, almost like a full golf academy out of it with after school programs, uh, name it, introductory level, mid-level, high level, et cetera. So, so we look for location and being able to, to be able to take the TGA program and put it anywhere at that facility. And then you talk about timing, right? There's always gonna be some downtimes. And so we, we look to be able to fill those downtimes um, uh, that, the, that the golf courses have. But I, I don't wanna underestimate value, value proposition to these parents. It's not only the, the sport of golf, but it's also 
uh, our ability to provide great experiences for, for the kids. And, and we partnered with Youth On Course uh, a year ago, and we see that as being a great value, uh, a value add to our parents. They get, they get a membership with their, with their camp registration. And then on top of it, you know, the ability to access the Youth On Course membership, uh, uh, what that all entails, and, and for these kids to be able to go on a golf course and play for $5 or less a round is, is, is fantastic for their continuing engagement with the sport. Well, you sort of touched, unless you had anything to add, Adam, I, you sort of touched on something, Joshua, that I wanted to get into, and we sort of offline before we started, there was a lot of banter between the three of you, so there certainly seems to be some overlap between your organizations. Could you talk about how, how each of you, it, what overlap there is, and how you guys uh, integrate your various programs uh, together? Well, Josh just mentioned it, you know, in terms of, of Youth on Course and, and uh, TGA and, and I think the, the overlap on the, you know, Youth on Course and, and Junior League side is, is massive as well. I mean, there are tens of thousands of kids, uh, you know, around the country that I think are, are overlapping, you know, with all of our organizations, which I think is, is really kind of cool, right? I mean, it's, it's we, we pick up at different points. Uh, we're all part of this that this kind of map for junior golf and and uh we all we all kind of hit a, a different point in golf and you know for from a, from our perspective youth on course had to be designed to be complementary it had to be complementary to tga and and to junior league and to i mean the first tee and every and everyone else uh really uh it's about access it's about being able to play golf for you know for five dollars or less and um, what's what's interesting in, in listening to some of the stats that that Josh just mentioned is that the, the parents become a part of this thing, right? And they get they want it. They want their kids to succeed. They want to spend time with them. Um, and we're finding that about forty percent of our kids who come to a golf course are they're bringing a parent. They're bringing an adult, and those adults are are paying whether it's a twilight rate or a full paying rate and, and that benefits the, the PGA professional, right? That benefits the facility. And so uh, it's pretty cool to think about the, the, the ecosystem, let's call it of, of, you know, youth golf and how everybody, you know, when, when we kind of put, you know, our own interests aside can, can actually really do quite a bit. Yeah. And what I would add um, to that is, you know, certainly I think that we're in a, a really cool time. Uh, for us to all come together. And, you know, golf has historically been pretty defragmented when it comes to the, the junior space. And I don't certainly sort of no fault of any of the human beings kind of involved in it. It's, it's sort of the structural way that golf is organized, right? Where there's not just sort of one national governing body, like there is USA hockey or USA lacrosse, et cetera, et cetera. You have multiple national governing bodies. And so how that sort of comes down to local levels that you have a bunch of really great initiatives. They're all focused on, on sort of their thing, right? Whether it's youth on course and access to playing, whether it's TGA and school programs, junior league, which is team-based programs, girls golf, right? The list goes on. And one thing that I'm really encouraged by, excuse my dog in the background, <laughs> is, that, uh, is that we're all talking, we're all working together in a way that 
I, I've never sort of experienced in my, you know, sort of 20 years in the golf industry. And we're all looking for opportunities of, hey, how can we make sure that junior league players know about youth on course so they have access to that? How do we make sure that TGA kids at their schools know that they can go play through youth on course, play in junior league? How do we connect with girls golf to get more females playing? Right? All those things. Because when we come together within our different organizations, it's the kids that win. Because the alternative is that in a funny story, as I asked my wife, this was several years ago. I said, hey, uh, we were living in Jupiter, Florida at the time. I said, hey, figure out if you could how to get Eva, our oldest daughter, into golf. And so she's like, okay. And so 20 minutes later, she comes back to me and she's like, I'm done. And by the way, your website's not very good. You need to make all these improvements. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about what happened. Just enter in like junior golf into a Google search what do you get there, right? You, you know, so she talked about how she went through this whole thing with the first T's website, then she went through a thing with PJ Junior Leagues and, and so on and so forth. And there, there wasn't enough, and there still is a long way to go, um, but there wasn't enough coordination to, to guide a parent through how do you introduce and then engage your, your child in the sport. And I think that we've made significant progress in working together, and I, I think we're going to continue because at the end of the day, it's, it's what the kids and the, the parents really need. Yeah, to echo uh, what Steve is saying, I think that there exists some some formal partnerships amongst junior golf organizations, um, and then there's some informal ones as well. Uh, it's certainly, you know, when you look at the industry and, and the challenges and the opportunities that of what lies ahead, I, I, I can say that the, the PHA of America has been diligently working on, on, an, on an ADM model, American development model for, for kids, and that has a great opportunity to unite the various entities uh, throughout the industry, uh, hoping, uh, hoping that, has, uh, that that comes to fruition sooner rather than later, because as we've all been talking about through COVID, there, there's the increased demand that we have right now and, and the supply of players that are coming out of the woodwork and playing, not just juniors, but also adults. The, the industry has a unique opportunity to work together and create that player pathway so that, you know, Alexis, Steve's wife, can go online and can have a universal resource to be able to find out where to start. Um, and that's, uh, that's going to be as important, uh, if, as, if not anything, to retaining the new players. And so we have an opportunity and a challenge ahead of us as an industry to be able to forge relationships, follow a model, and, and do what other sports have done best that have significantly more participants than golf has. Yeah, if I could, I'd love to. Is it okay if I just touch on one thing he said? Yeah, please do. Sure. Yeah, so thanks to Josh for bringing up uh, American development um, model for golf. So that is something that uh, is ongoing and is a really exciting opportunity. It really started when golf got back into the Olympics. um, And the USOPC requires that any sport that's in the Olympics has an American development model basically a way where you're training the coaches, training the organizations on how to be a good coach at the different ages and stages of development within the sport. And it's really something that is unprecedented in terms of all of the organizations within the industry coming together to not only develop it, but then to support it and say, hey, we're going to align by that. And so like we're doing things in PJ Junior League, uh, certainly around a, a lot of our postseason and all-star policies. Um, we're making changes because we need to, because it's what's appropriate for the kids. 
Um, and the outcome of it that we're hoping for is that we have, whether it's through pga.com or, or any sort of other industry websites, that we have a resource where all of the folks that have hand-raised to, to really support ADM, and, and I know all of us on this call and, and many more um, are part of that, would come together and say, hey, we meet the standards of, the, of ADM and parents can have confidence then in which programs they're choosing. And a clear, you know, Adam called it a map, right? A clear map of, hey, you're here. Hey, this is, a, this is where you go next. And this is the route that you go on to really engage with the game. So thanks to Josh for bringing that up because that's certainly something that we're, we're still working on. Um, we've made some progress, but we're really excited about it. If, so, if I, if, Rob, if I- if Yeah, I, go ahead. The one, the one, the one thing is Steve, Steve and I have debated this. I, I haven't gotten into the debate with Adam yet, but uh, I can't stand the term uh, "growing the game" um, for for reasons that that Steve just said. I mean, golf was back in the Olympics. I mean, we are considered a sport, and right. from a universal term of acceptance for for kids or adults wanting to play, I, I think sport is more powerful. So. If we could push for one, I, I like I like growing our sport. Growing but, sport. Uh, uh, we, we could probably debate this for the next 30 minutes if we wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of where my question goes a little bit. And this might be a little bit of a naive question, but a lot of what I'm hearing from you guys right now is a little bit more on the B to C side, if you will. Uh, players, kids, golfers, coaches, getting getting a little bit more involved. On the B2B side, I'm running a facility or I happen to, you know, catch this podcast and I'm something in the golf industry, but I, I sit on the PTA at my kid's school or whatever. How does a, an organization, you know, engage with you guys? Do they engage with you directly to, to launch this as more of a just granularly adding kids into the programs how do they engage what do they need to do what are their challenges are there equipment challenges making sure their clubs there for the kids to use uh, space how do they engage with you guys to launch a program at their facility uh, i can certainly take that one on um so you know our our we understand that in order for anything that we're currently working on to PJ of America uh, to be successful is that it's not just about that PGA professional, right? They're, they're generally employees of an owner of an operator, right? Of a, of a business. And so how is, how are the, the tools and the products, things like PGA junior league um, and other initiatives that we're working on, how are they helping that golf professional create value for the facility? And it's something that we spend quite a bit of time working with our PGA professionals on. A lot of the case studies that I mentioned previously, where it's you know an average of twenty thousand dollars per facility of increased revenue, um, you know that's where that's why we do it, right? So we can showcase that hey, investing in this, it's not it's not just a long term fifteen year sort of yield payout, but it's an immediate payout. And ultimately, we think that the, our hope is that the industry evolves from what I'll describe as, as mostly a transaction-based industry, right? When demand was so high, kind of like it is right now, but when it was so high for so long, there weren't folks that were engaged and actually going out and engaging their communities, right? You could essentially sit behind the counter and just kind of cha-ching as people came in and bought, you know, paid for their green fees, got their, you know, sleeve of balls or whatever, and the, the, you know, the demand was always higher than the supply. Now that we're in an environment sort of pre-COVID and hopefully not for a while post-COVID, but now pre-COVID we're in an environment where demand was less than supply. 
It was how do we help our golf professionals be those people for their employers where they know how to go out in their community and engage and bring people in and then create that stickiness where it's almost like they become a community center um, uh, with their facility. Um, and then in terms of, uh, you know, sort of what they need um, for us, equipment is, is the next thing that we're looking to do, right? The first thing, once we launched PJ Junior League and got some growth with it was how do we have a scholarship program? So we work with Dick's Sports Matters Foundation as, as one of our partners there. Um, and the next stage is how do we provide sort of equipment and, and transportation are certainly two um, big ones that I know that um, my colleagues here on the phone uh, do quite a good job with. You know, from a community in environment, I think if, if you're not out in the community, you know, you, you're missing something, certainly. And so we'll, we will encourage as, as many groups, I think, you know, Kyle, you give the, the uh, Rob, the, the PTA reference. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting one. It's, it's kind of a, a good one. And I think Josh could probably speak to that more, you know, more clearly than, than anybody. But, uh, you know, we're, at, we're actively encouraging either organizations, community groups, nonprofits, you know, what have you to come together and, and kind of form clubs within youth on course. And so they, they can then go out and play together. Uh, the more they do that, you know, the, the more they're going to be exposed to, to, to golf, the, the better they're going to get, the more competitive they get, you know, you then feed them into to other things like, like junior league. Um, one of the, one of the things I, I thought, you know, when we did it, it was like, how, how have we not done this before? Uh, was when Josh and I actually met in an industry function, I don't know, Josh, a couple of years ago. I was like, how are we not working together? How, how, you know, you have all these schools, you've got all these parents, you've got all these camps. Why, why aren't we doing something? Why aren't we talking? Why isn't there a mechanism where we can integrate this? And we should be looking at opportunities like that all over the place because you can grow at a scale that is very, very different than if you're picking off, you know, and that's a, probably not the best term, but, you know, one family or, or one, you know, kid or one interested golfer at a time, right? Let's do this in mass. Let's galvanize some community support. So uh, I think it's a great question. It's something we need to do more of as an industry. And my PTA reference really was just, uh, I mean, I, I have an eight-year-old daughter. She gets out and plays golf with me. We celebrated an 85-yard drive the other night. She was pretty excited about that. Um, but, you know, schools, I would think, are facing a huge challenge right now of what can they do with the kids? You know, a lot of the, the recess isn't the same as what it used to be. You know, you can't put them all in the gym necessarily like you used to be able to do. And, and, and a lot of things have, have changed there. So I would think that that dynamic and, you know, paired with all the publicity that golf has gotten as being the ultimate social distancing sport that, that's out there right now, it seems like a match to me. Uh, you know, anyway. No, no, it's a, it's a, it's a valid point. It's, you know, there's, there's challenges and opportunities certainly within the schools and your PTA reference. Um, first off in, in areas where, where we have a franchise, it's very easy for a, a PTA president to call us up and, and engage the franchise owner or even HQ and have us get it out to the franchise owner to be able to come in and run a program. That's, that's simple stuff. For, for the places that we don't, it's actually a product that we're working on. I, I, I guess it would be considered B2B at that point where we're, we're looking at kind of TGA in a box and what that looks like in places where we don't have a franchise and the ability to, to empower that either PTA uh, president or the physical education uh, person or even a teacher at the school who has an aptitude for golf to be able to 
provide that introductory uh, program to, to kids and to the students at that school. And, and everything is included from the uh, equipment all the way to our student handbooks to the uh, curriculum that includes academics and athletics. So we're, we're very fortunate that, yeah, we're, we're not able to run programs in any schools right now. They're certainly not allowing third parties in even if the schools are back in session, but schools are being very supportive of the kids being active outside of schools. So when we partner with uh, a facility or the PGA professional, to be able to run after school programs or camps at a, at, a, at a golf facility, the schools are helping us promote that opportunity to the kids um, that they normally wouldn't. So we, we are seeing a tremendous amount of support for the, for the sport of golf right now and, and the inherent built-in uh, social opportunity is with it. Mr. Taylor. Well, yeah, I, um, I had a question to sort of trends prior to COVID. So if we were conducting this interview maybe a year ago, what were some of the macro trends that you were seeing in terms of numbers? Were there more youth sort of accessing the game of golf through your various programs? Were you kind of finding, you know, flatlining, competing with soccer and lacrosse and other things? Uh, just sort of, we all know what COVID sort of has done to the game and we touched on the questions surrounding how sticky that is and what, what we can do to kind of cement those going forward. But I was just curious, what, what did 2017, 18, 19 look like uh, for you guys? I think growth was still strong. Uh, you know, youth on courses in a, was an emerging, you know, organization and, and program in, in a lot of different regions. So, I mean, if we weren't growing, we were, we were going to be doing something really, really bad, probably, um, you know, so, uh, 50% growth had kind of been the norm, you know, over maybe 17, 18, 19. Uh, it's continued in 20. It's just the, the the rounds of golf and the ability to play so affordably, so frequently, uh, you know, with COVID has really, you know, driven that number from, let's call it 40 or 50% to, to 100% uh, this year. But uh, it was, the growth was there. Uh, and so we've always kind of, kind of been excited about the, the growth of, uh, of golf. I think at a macro level, right, we've seen through National Golf Foundation and some of the others um, that just junior golf in general has been growing, which is obviously great to see. And um, with PJ Junior League, we're the same. You know, the, the program was started in 2012, and, you know, we were seeing between 20 and 25% growth, you know, sort of year over year. So we had 61,000 kids in the program in 2019, 52,000 in 2018, 42,000 in 2017. And so each year was just laddering up. And, you know, we're really excited about uh, what the future holds as well, um, because the trends that we saw pre-COVID became the things that we're working on now and have been working on for the last several months in terms of what do we do when we get out of this. For us, our numbers are certainly down this year from what our projections were, right? I mentioned 37,000 um, versus 61,000, um, which frankly we're thrilled by. If you'd asked me back in you know, April or May, I was, I was just hoping we'd get some kids out playing golf. But what we saw in the pre-COVID world is that youth sports just really needs a reset in general. And, um, I know Josh mentioned Project Play and the Aspen Institute, and, and they've really built a coalition of leaders in youth sports across all sports, golf being one of them, uh, into how do we more localize play, right? So many kids, it's like 70% of kids drop out of sports by the time that they're age of 13, because it just gets too competitive, it becomes travel leagues, it becomes 
um, expensive, time consuming, et cetera. And certainly Junior League has a component of that, right? Like we have a postseason, but it's such a small, it gets a lot of publicity, but it's such a small part of what we actually focus on and, and such a small part of in terms of the kids that are actually playing it. So we're focused right now on how do we localize, right? How do we take advantage of this? So how do we make a world where our facilities can run their own league at their facility? How do we create these sort of play day concepts where uh, teams can travel around to other facilities in place. So you get the best of both sort of being at your home course, but also playing at other courses. How do we look at additional age divisions? So we've always been sort of 13 and under. Uh, we saw a lot of our kids were graduating out. And a lot of the kids that don't make the high school team that aren't playing in the you know various tours that are out there wanting to play. So we're creating a 17U division for them. Right now in, um, in the process of building a younger 9U division. We're thinking about how do we expand out sort of what programming can look like under the broader PGA Junior League brand because I, I believe that in order for golf to continue growing, junior golf particularly, um, sort of a couple things need to happen. I think the first is that there needs to be clarity for the parents and the kids on where to go and that's you know sort of the ADM and the collaboration that we've talked about. Um, and I think secondly, it needs to be localized Right, so much of junior golf, if you want to engage in it formally, is through a individual sort of tournament pathway. And First Tee, the three of us, Girls Golf, many others are doing such a great job sort of getting away from that, making it more recreational, make it more fun, making it more social by nature. Um, and I think if we do those things, I think that we can certainly continue seeing growth because it's such a healthy activity, right? Even in non-COVID. And even pre-COVID, right, you had concussions, you had a variety of other things that were happening where people are worried about the well-being and health of their kids. And, you know, I think we probably all agree there's, there's hardly anything you can do that's healthier than playing around to golf. Yeah, Kyle, for, for TGA, uh, 17 to 19, obviously the economy was booming. Um, and, and just like any business, uh, it's, it's cyclical for us. So we saw more growth in terms of participants, we were averaging about a 12% uh, growth year over year in those, in the, in those times uh, based on the number of participants. We, we didn't grow a, a tremendous amount compared to other years uh, in terms of adding number of franchises, but that's to be expected. TGA, because we're such a low cost option to get in, into the game, uh, to start a business, to be able to engage the community with youth sports or grow junior golf in a, in a community, we, we see more franchise sales during a down economy than we do in an up economy, just because uh, there's less jobs out there. Uh, people are, people are, are gainfully employed. And so the disposable income is up and our kids, uh, we get more kids into the programs. As we go into uh, a more economic downturn, which is the history of the United States, you know, cyclical, we, we see more franchises come on board, but we, we do see a dip in the number of participants, but it's not as big as one would think because uh, I always like to say that parents never stop spending on two things, especially in a down economy. Number one is programs for their kids and number two is on alcohol. So, uh, so for us, um, we grow, we grow uh, by number of markets more during a down economy, but we grow by number of participants. And so we're, uh, I think we, we may or may not be headed to a, a down economy. So we are seeing more and more franchise inquiries come in, especially in the past three to four months with uh, unemployment rates going up, unfortunately. But uh, I think that bodes well for junior golf and introductory programs in, in TGA's world. Good. What, uh, as we grow the sport of golf, 
and, and do this? What's, you know, what, what's kind of the biggest takeaway for you guys? What's the most important thing, um, whether it's uh, an entrepreneur in, on, on the side of the TGA side, maybe a franchise, a golf professional, um, you know, kids playing and looking to gain scholarships or other things they'd be looking to do. But what would you guys share as maybe a, uh, you know, summing this up and in, in your business's role, in, you know, within growth of the sport of, of golf? I think we're all entrepreneurs. Um, you know, Adam couldn't get his, his company to, to where it's at and driving the, you know, being the driving force behind it if, if, if he wasn't who he was and seeing the incredible growth that Youth On Course uh, has achieved. Same thing for Steve at PGA Junior League. Um, you know, he's the driving force behind that. And, and their numbers have increased significantly under his, under his leadership. So we're all, we're all entrepreneurs. Um, it just may be in different functions in, in larger or smaller companies. I, I, my takeaway is with the increased demand and the increased supply, now is the best time uh, as an industry to come together and really solidify those opportunities uh, so that Alexis, Steve's wife, can, can pinpoint exactly where to get started or where they do fall in that player pathway and have that continuous relationship with, with golf, uh, with the professionals, with the coaches, um, and then create an, an increased value add value proposition for uh, you know golf's customers every step of the way if we can do that i think i think the industry will be very successful well and the, to further that josh and then thanks for the kind words man right back at you um it seems to me that that there's a unique opportunity given the, the willingness uh, of, you know, the, the various different, you know, leadership teams within our organizations, within, you know, Girls Golf, the First Tee, Op 36, uh, you know, and others to work together. Um, you know, as, as you can tell, we're all, we're all younger. We're all on the younger side of things and yet still have a decent amount of experience in this. And I think there's a, there's just a little bit of a different attitude and a little, a little bit more of a willingness to, to do what is good for the sport. And, and not to say that anybody's, you know, only watching out for themselves elsewhere, but, uh, you know, I, I think discussions like this uh, are at least encouraging for me and, I, and hopefully encouraging, uh, you know, for parents and, and for, for the kids, I think we're, we're trying to give a brighter future to. Yeah, I love Adam's comments right there, right, that I think we're all, we're all working for a bigger cause, right, that's certainly bigger than, than PG of America or me or or any of our organizations. And I think that we all are approaching the industry within that spirit. And I think that's why we're seeing junior golf on the rise. And I think that's why we're seeing so many successful initiatives like Youth on Course, like TGA, like others that are out there. I mean, the, the final thing I guess that I would say is that um, I think COVID has shown us the real power of human connection, maybe in a way that we um, didn't realize it was so kind of fundamental to who we are and what we need in our lives. And in, in my opinion, that I think where golf got away from itself a little bit is um, stepping away from that human connection. As I mentioned earlier, the transactional nature of if I'm a golfer and I show up and I just walk in the pro shop, hey, I'm here, Steve Tanner, one o'clock tea time. Here's my card. I need a sleeve of balls. I grab a glove. I walk to the first tee. I go play 18 holes, go to my car and I leave. I don't have a relationship. I, 
I have a relationship with the game, but I don't necessarily have a relationship with that facility um, or with any humans that are at that facility. And I think that if we can create that, I think that transcends whether it's a public facility, private facility, park, it doesn't matter. Um, the ability for, uh, for our operators, for our professionals, for us as sort of organizational you know, leads um, to do things that facilitate the human connection between, whether it be between kids and each other, right? Their friends, whether it be between kids and their parents, right? The family unit, kids and their coaches, kids in a facility, families in a facility. I think we'll see hopefully golf take what's happened, you know, the unfortunate circumstances that have impacted so many, and there'll be a, a sort of a bright spot um, for sport and for golf coming out of this. I think what you said right there, Steve, is really super key. You know, one of the things that golf has, I don't want to say struggled with, but maybe struggled with forever was it being inclusive and feeling like you belong and feeling like you fit in and you're somewhere where, you know, this is, I found my spot. So, so carrying that over in a, in a sport that's been at times maybe considered exclusive, not inclusive, I, I think would be super, super key in, um, in, in continuing to grow it. Mr. Taylor, I think we have come close to the end here. Yeah. Yeah, uh, amazing ambassadors for the sport of golf, if you will. Appreciate all three of you for, for being on. There's a number of uh, participants in this junior golf ecosystem that we, we couldn't get everybody, but certainly want to acknowledge the great work the first tee does. Got the best. Operation 36, yeah. <laughs> Girls Golf, Future Champions, AJGA. It, you know, there's, there's a long list. So you guys all work together. You're doing amazing things for the future of the game. And so we want to appreciate you being on the show today very much thanks guys thanks for having us guys again we will as usual with any one of our broadcasts we're going to have information about everything uh that, that we discussed today how you can connect with the tga youth on the course the pga of america and their programs really excited that we had you guys on um looking forward to getting this out there